And welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing good, Jody. I'm doing good. I've been taking a lot of time off here, so recharging the batteries. I'm feeling pretty good. Sweet. How about so you? You're going to be like a new Tesla when you're done? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I'm doing good, too. I can't complain. I'm already laughing based on your answers. Also, that th- it's downhill from here. Then. <laughs> it must be. So what are we talking today? Well, the last few episodes here, we've talked both about delay and reverb. So today we're going to do a continuation on that theme and do a bit of a deep dive into possibly the most famous reverb, the Lexicon 480L. Ooh, time to put on my big boy pants here. Let's go. Yeah, we're going to get nerdy today, so uh, strap in and (laughs) enjoy, hopefully. (laughs) It is one of those classic units, so I think most people have seen them, whether they realize it or not, but it's like when you look at a picture of a studio with a giant console, you see what looks like a little white calculator on the on the console. That's a very the special control. white calculator with faders. Absolutely, that is indicative of that. That studio has a 480 reverb, or at least the remote control for it for photo ops. But sure, yeah. So famous uh, reverb and going a little bit deeper, like I said. So real quick history: it's from Lexicon. Lexicon was founded in '71 by two gentlemen. Dr. Francis Lee and Chuck Bagnacci. What a name. Say that three times fast. (laughs) I'm not even going to try that because I'm probably going to butcher it at least two out of those three Mm, times. So they focused on spatial effects, like so reverb and delay. In 1979, they released a unit called the 224XL. That's a reverb unit, by the way. That is a reverb unit. And that's a reverb unit that you have some experience with at least the software version, correct? Mm -hmm. Continuation of the 224XL was the 480, 480L, and that came out in 1986, and that's sort of like the big brother to the 224 then. Since then, they have focused on more rack units, like the PCM series. And if you're a guitar player, you probably know the PCM70, which was like a multi-effect non-force and stuff. What a nice unit that is. Indeed. So they're continuing to this day, but this is truly a classic reverb unit. And by classic, you mean it goes way back into the 1900s of our society. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. All the way back then before electricity was even invented. (laughs) Right. Yeah, so take us off the cliff, Jody. What's so special about the 480? The cool thing about it is that it was a 44.1K or 48K unit. You could switch between the two. And it was also one of the very first that could take digital input and spit out digital output, as well as the analog versions of sound in and out with this unit. The other cool thing about it is it's very capable of doing other things other than reverb and delays, and that is capable of sampling if you bought the hardware 
ability to do it inside the unit. Yeah, I believe it was the second card that you needed to, to use for that. Yep, two cards or an additional card to go into that unit. And then the other really amazing thing about this reverb is the fact that it was a true stereo reverb. Mm-hmm. Uh, it processes left and right in a manner of different ways in terms of what you could do internally. And we'll nerd a little bit more about it later, I think. But it had machine A and machine B inside the Doran thing. That's how it was determined. It was called machine A, machine B. And you essentially could run left and right into it and run those in series or in parallel. Or you could run them independently, mono, and that would take a mono input and spit out stereo from machine B and machine A. So it lots of different ways to kind of work with it. And in addition to that, it had MIDI implementation with it as well, which was not something that was really big just yet at the time that it came out. But that's a cool addition, though. I mean, obviously, a very flexible unit, the fact that it could do patch changes and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. right in the middle of the 80s here, so <laughs> MIDI is kind of exploding. So that, that's a cool implementation as well. Yeah. So Now, though, you know, the trying to find these units it can be kind of pricey on your pocketbook. It can be. I mean, I've seen them for, you know, about $4,500 U.S. and up on the used market. But they are still in use today. I mean, there's nothing absolutely wrong with them. They don't sound dated. It's just a testament to how good they are. They're (laughs) very much still in use, so you don't have to plunk down a lot of money. Now, of course, you know, we're living in a digital world here, so... And we are digital boys, so let's get started with our software versions. What do we got? The first one I tend to think of is their Relab development one. They have a plugin called the LX480. I see what they did there. They reversed the number and the letters. They sure did. And they kind (laughs) of added an X there as well. I guess they stole that from the 224, yeah. But that's one, and that is very good recreation of this. But it also adds some bells and whistles that would obviously not available on the hardware unit or the mm-hmm. remote. But that's the first one, I think. You're a UA guy. Yep. So the UA40L. There you go. That is the only, apparently, at the time that I'm aware of on this recording, that it's the only official Lexicon approved 480L version. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. And my speculation is that, as with all of these things, whether <laughs> the only official is they're basically paying the licensing for it. I that would assume. Be. Yeah. yeah. Could very well be. Doesn't take anything away from it. I mean, obviously, UA do great stuff, and I'm sure that that one is no exception to that. Being a Slate user, I have the Verb Suite Classics, mm. which is based on the Liquisonics. While not being a straight-up 480 emulation or anything like that, it uses IRs or Fusion IRs, which is a little bit of a different animal in there as well. So it has those reverbs that can get tweaked as well. Mm -hmm. There's the Native Instruments, RC48. Lexicon themselves have plugins. So, hey, fancy that. So they have... (laughs) The PCM reverb. Yeah. And that's not just, again, the 480. It's it's a bunch of the the different reverb units through the history of Lexicon that that are in there. And and there also are a whole bunch of IRs floating around online from the 480 that people have taken from their actual units. There. So you could find those if you have your favorite IR loader, like if you have you know Logic, just load them into Space Designer. So there's a lot of options out there as well to to try these out because it is a, a really, really good 
It is a beast so, of a machine is what you're trying to say. You said it so eloquently. Yes, that, that's what I'm trying to say. Yes. <laughs> All right. And with that being said, let's take a word from our sponsors. And we're back. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to start talking a little bit about this calculator and the kind of controls that it has. So kick us off, Chris. Well, first, there is obviously two parts to this, right? There, there's the housing that houses the processors that would generally sit in a rack somewhere in the studio. So you don't go up to this unit and control it. You have this remote control sitting on the board that adds all the, um, the controls for it. Mm-hmm. Hence, remote control. There and you that's go. The and it looks, looks like the like, controls. That's, that's yeah. what it looks like the calculator. It, exactly. And it has rows of buttons and displays and faders on it. So everything is accessible through that and only through that, as a matter of fact. We have different types of reverbs in here, as you would expect. Halls. We got rooms. You also have cool things that they call like wild spaces, mm. which are more like special effect type of a things, right? But in these banks that we have the halls, we can various sizes going from one second up to like five second plus. Mm. And wow. as you would expect in rooms, we have different rooms as well, but obviously shorter, anywhere ranging from like half a second to a second mm-hmm. type of rooms. And the wild spaces are. Just that, just wild. So special effect type sounds, reverse echoes and ricochets and slapbacks, and apparently a Metallica preset too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's actually funny. There is a reverb preset in there in the original called Metallica. In the documentation for this, it's described as a dense metallic type of reverb, and I kid you not. It is said it's designed for heavy metal. So, <laughs> I so they were thinking, who would that? We're going to make Metallica use this. I wonder if they ever did. They probably did. I'm sure they did. I mean, the, the ultimate irony there, I think, anyway, because like I said, this came out in 86, and I do believe it was 87 or 88 when Metallica released their Injustice for All, which is sort of like a super dry. <laughs> yes. production like so it's uh it's kind of funny additionally there's other things that it has too it has plate verbs mm-hmm. and it has something called random and it has something called ambience and the random thing is for extremely long and very large spaces so that they're super smooth and very big and then the ambience settings that it has is for adding distance to things that are very close mic so maybe somebody should go back and remix and justice for all I added would, the ambience thing to give it a little bit of fucking space. <laughs> yeah, uh, not to digress too much here, but I would love for somebody to go back and remix Injustice for All and actually add some bass to it. That too. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it had then all these special effects. And if I'm not mistaken, there was also a preset in there, which a lot of people use as a Doppler for vocals and things as a thickener. So. A lot of those, a lot of sort of like reverse echoes, that type of thing. So it was very, very capable of doing a lot of esoteric reverb effects as opposed to just, you know, really, really good natural sounding plates and and rooms and things like that. Well, and the other thing too is that it actually had delay units in it. And noted as being twin delays is what they're calling, but that was essentially a four voice delay lines that that had independent levels and independent feedback and independent time for each voice. So you can get pretty crazy with the delays that go on in there. Uh, There are additional delay effects as well, but generally we're going to look at this as just a reverb unit rather than a delay unit. There is that. And speaking of which, with the whole thing with how the reverb 
works in it. Probably something that is lexicon famous is what they call the split decay. And even though the split decay actually started with the 224, it is also inside the 480L. And what that is, is that there's two variations for the algorithms that they have in terms of the size of what they're using. And what that means is, is that on the rooms and plates reverbs that they had, they had much greater density inside those reverbs, but they came with two pre-echo voices is what they're called. And then with the halls and the wild spaces, those didn't have as much density to them, and they came with six pre-echo voices. And the way you work with these things in terms of the echo voices and the densities, they had mixtures that happened inside these presets. So it kind of feels like they move or a little bit more realistic, I guess would be a way of yeah. saying it, so that it wasn't a static kind of reverb for every preset, which is probably why Lexicon sounds so amazing. Now, there's a lot of flexibility there, obviously, with this unit. And as we go into the parameters that we could control here, it becomes apparent that obviously a lot of thought had gone into this and how they dealt with everything because each parameter has an effect on another parameter, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, oh, we're just affecting the high cut. No, that would actually affect something else as well as how the reverb would sort of blossom over time. And it just, like you described there, Jody, it's like I think all of this rolled up into one is what makes it a very smooth, sort of natural sounding reverb. And that's probably why it got so successful. If it didn't sound good, it just looks cool with having a remote control. Exactly. That's, that's not going <laughs> to cut it, right? We didn't actually put any 480L on this recording, but there it is in the picture. It's on your record anyway. <laughs> yeah, right? And it, it's one of those promo shots for your studio, right? And you just have a non-working empty remote control on, uh, on your board. So it's like, wow, that guy is really serious. All right, so let's that, dive into those parameters and, this, and the filters and the faders and everything else. Maybe we should describe first how this sort of remote control was laid out, where it had all these different pages, and it had six faders on the surface of it. And on top of that was a parameter that you would adjust with that fader. And different pages go through, so that updates. Right? But, but the first fader there would be the time constant. Right or, or the length of the delay, as it were. Mm-hmm. Right, so th- that's pretty self-explanatory. But then we also have the second one would be shape, and the best way for me that I understand this is it, it's almost like thinking of it like an attack and release time on a synthesizer that you might have. Right, so it's sort of like the shape of how quick the attack of the reverb is. So you could actually have it fade in a little bit. It's not immediate. Mm -hmm. That obviously changes how the reverb is going to sound, right? And another thing here that I think is really cool is the spread. And again, that's there when you're describing those two engines in there where how it the reverb can bloom out in the stereo field over time. Right. Right. How it widens out. Yeah. So so that that's really, really cool. Do you want to take the next ones here? Well, the next three, we have size for lighter number four. I feel like I need to do Mr. Movie Phone voice for this kind of stuff. But slider number four is the size is size of the space that you're actually going to throw your sound into, so to speak. Then we have slider number five, which is the high frequency cutoff that you kind of mentioned before getting into all of this, where it's meant for removing the high end out of your 
So, yeah. Then we have our last fader, which is the pre-delay fader. And that's mm -hmm. the one that becomes kind of rather important to know whether or not you're going to get a distinction between is it an immediate effect or is it a delayed effect in terms of how close and intimate you want your sound to be or how far yeah. away you want your sound to be when right. it comes to the reverb and where it's sitting. And that's something we talked about in last week's episode as well, how we like to play with those to get the effect that you want, uh, whether you want that intimacy or not, or if you, you know, Or if want you want to get be... really nuts, you do it by numeric value of your rhythm. Exactly, you can do that as well. The functions of these faders, but, but that's your first one, so that's probably the one you're gonna do most of your heavy lifting. If you go further in than that, then I hesitate to say, but you're on your own, but <laughs> that, that's not true. But, but there's, you, you have more control of more of the in-depth parameters. If you know that, you, you probably feel relatively comfortable dialing in anything that you uh, might need. Above these faders and stuff, we have numeric buttons for quick access to patches. So you could access these in banks, like we described before, which is all the, the types, right? the, the rooms, the halls, whatever mm -hmm. they are, and then you can choose certain presets so you didn't have to scroll through endless menus so that's kind of a cool way of kind of thinking about a unit that is so deep mm -hmm. that they thought about okay well how can we access all of this in a quick manner yeah so there's the next thing you mentioned before you mentioned the split decay maybe we can go into that a little bit more at this well point you can go into that I'd rather go into how the machine itself actually works between its inputs and outputs with the stereo thing. Sure. Mainly because the split decay we've already described, but what we didn't describe super well was the inputs and outputs. And one of the things obviously is mentioned earlier is that it is a digital IO unit. So you could go in digitally or you could go in analog and you could go out digitally or you could go out analog. And there's the two machines as mentioned, machine A, machine B. Now, being that it's a true stereo reverb, and if you're running it, say, machine A into machine B in series, you go in left and right, you can do a couple of wild things. You can have one reverb in machine A and one reverb in machine B. And then they run reverb A into B <laughs> and then come out the end of B and you've got something really wild. Now, in addition to that, you can take the outputs of machine A separately from machine B. So even though it's running in series... You go in stereo, you've got your machine A sound, which is whatever reverb you want in machine A, and then you can run the output of machine A separately, even inside the unit. You go from machine A into machine B, and then you can run the outputs of that separately as well. So you could have machine A output and then AB output in stereo, which is pretty wild. It's like your mind starts to go, what the fuck is he trying to say? So Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I need a schematic. I need like a roadmap at this point. But I, I guess the bottom line is that it's it's a really, really flexible unit. It is. Right? And it, it goes further than this when it comes to the whole stereo thing. So let me of take the next step. So now we have the ability to go in left and right for your stereo input. You can take stereo into machine A and stereo into machine B with your same inputs and then run those two separately. So machine A is not coloring machine B as it goes through. And then you've got your two or your four outputs, your left, right of A and your left, right of B. And that's in parallel kind of thing. Then you can split machine A and machine B and you can do an 
mono input into A and a mono input into B, and then they come out stereo in their own respective formats. So you've got mono A, output left, right A, mono B input, machine B, and stereo left, right of B output. So it, it's really crazy. And to get even further nutty with all of this, you can have a two-room recording studio with this thing, and you could have two LARCs, as they're called, <laughs> L-A-R-Cs, <laughs> which are the controllers for the unit. And you could have one room using just machine A and the second LARC using machine B. So you'd have some crazy cabling going on in your studio to be able to do this, but you could treat it like two separate units with two separate remote controls and treat it right. like you know, each reverb unit as its own thing for each room rather than combining them in the weird ways I just described. I would think, though, and this is just me speculating, but I think you mentioned that you could have two remote controls. Yes. You could also daisy chain these, I believe. But but the remote control, I would guess that when they came out, I don't have a street price of these, but I'm guessing they were not cheap. (laughs) (laughs) So probably common for a two-studio establishment to have one of these units and just separate control. So it's not necessarily that they needed to share the processor or split the processors. They could just be used at separate times, but not having to remove remove one control from, let's say, Studio A to Studio B, right? So yep. they could both be take advantage of having this unit. And I'm guessing that's probably the most common way to do it. But as we're mentioning the remote controls here, another handy thing that I think was, was brilliant was... We've talked about, just in passing here, the 224 as well. Mm -hmm. If you had a 224 and you ended up getting another 480 as well, you could daisy chain these and use one control to control both of those reverb units. So it's not like you had to add, yeah, you didn't need to add like another remote control and then you're looking even more like Captain Kirk sitting in front of you. Beat me up, Scotty, I need some reverb. Yeah, exactly. So people that are listening now are probably thinking, okay, well, now I need to go out and buy a hardware unit and get one of these to, to get. But so it looks cool. So you look like Captain Kirk. Why wouldn't you? Of course, the epitome of cool. Right? <laughs> Rock it, man. But no, they're obviously we're more like paying homage to this. Like if you're lucky enough to have one of these in your studio, fantastic. That's great. But where it sort of comes from and how we can make use of this in the software world, right? And realize why this was a a classic piece. And bottom line, it comes down to the sound, right? It sounds really, really good. It's not like this unit sounds dated today. It's still widely in use. Try this unit out in the software world and see if you like it. I know you use the 224 a lot. Especially on vocals. Yeah. And... The 480 IRs that I have in the Liquisonics Verb Suite gets heavy use for me as well. So get yourself a 480 software emulation and see what all the, the fuzz is about now that you know a little bit about the background. so Well, I would say that the 480 is like a great replacement to the 224. And if you have a 224, you don't necessarily replace it. You still use the damn thing. <laughs> Because it's, sure. it's a fine piece of kit. I agree with that sentiment. I think that most people could pick up a 480L plugin of some sort 
from the aforementioned companies that put them out and find out why that reverb is so amazing on so many things. It's, it's just one of those units that once you start diving into it and you start putting it to use, you start going, oh, damn, now I understand why that record sounds the way it does kind of thing. Yeah, but to play devil's advocate here at the end, it's also you know really important to keep in mind that as great as these units are, it's not the be-all, end-all. You have to have a 480 to get a decent-sounding reverb. Now, you today, do have to have one. Come on. That's true. That is a lie. You do need to have one. With so many reverbs and things that are around today, and so much of anything that's around today, it's, again, that we keep coming back to the theme here. It's, it's how you use and how you dial in what you got. The 480 is a fantastic sounding reverb, and you should definitely give it a try if you're in the market for a new reverb. But it's how you dial everything in, just like everything else, that's going to get you the best results. You could do a whole lot worse than having a 480. That's all I'm saying. But uh, <laughs> if you don't have one, it's not the end of your production life. You know, you got some projects coming up here, so hopefully you'll have the, the 480 emulation in, of you, course in your I arsenal will. here of soon. Of course yeah. I will. Absolutely. All right. Now that we've bowed that up, let's move on to our Friday finds. What have you got for us, Chris? <laughs> As we're talking about 480s here, and anybody that's in the market for one, I mentioned Relab development before. They have their flagship sort of reverb, which is the, the LX480, but they also have one that's called Relab Essentials. It's just that. It's just the Essentials of the 480 plugin in a scaled down form. So if you're looking on something a little bit more on the budget side, Relab Essentials. Now, this is not sponsored by Lexicon. There's been a lot of Lexicon talk, as you'd expect on the deep dive, but I feel remiss not to mention that, that that's available. So that would have to be my Friday find. What about you, Jody? What you got for us? Well, I'm gonna stick with the reverb concept that we've got going on here. Cool. However, I'm not going to talk about a 480L. Instead, I'm going to talk about <gasps> the new gen audio Paragon ST. And the reason why I'm is intrigued. it is also a reverb. It is a convolution type of reverb. And it is also an algorithmic reverb. It does all kinds of reverbs pretty darn well. For those that are looking for a bit better on the budget, and trying to grab either the hardware version of a 480L, which can run you thousands and thousands of dollars, or plug-in versions, which can run hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Think about the new gen Paragon ST. And that's all I got on that. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our email list. You'll get weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips, and we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast. If you send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the numbers 480 you'll get something cool back in your inbox. And if you have a topic of suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, run to the website and hit us up on the contact page. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. And with that, I'll say, see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one, Joey. <laughs> <laughs>